you'll see bowling coming into more and more projects. We have the advantage that we do that we work in with hotels and casinos and mm-hmm. movie theaters and and more and more uh, bowling is a is a piece of that. Awesome. Howard, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for joining us today. For the people who don't know about you or Pinnacle Entertainment Group, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you guys do. Yeah, so to make a long story short, Pinnacle Entertainment Group is a boutique consulting firm taking many years. There's three of us and we have about 100 years of operating experience between us. So taking that experience and leveraging it to help other people learn the family entertainment business. Mm -hmm. Usually most of our clients have an existing attraction like a bowling center and they want Mm -hmm. to add family entertainment element to an existing Mm. business. So then you go and help them take it to that or you help them run it or what do you guys usually fit in the mix? Yeah, we help them come up with the concept, exactly what components they're going to have, make sure, you know, fit it to the space, do the business planning so we can give them an idea of what the economics are going to be, their costs and their expenses to run it and their profitability. I see. And then we help them get set up and then teach them how to operate that business. Oh, wow. So you really kind of hold their hand through the whole transition. Exactly. Yeah. But we don't sell equipment or things like that. A lot of people who sell equipment say they consult, but it's hard to do both, you know? Right. Yeah. You might have a little bit, right. You might have a little bit of a bias, you know, that you're setting that up. Very cool. So I'd love to, you know, we kind of see where you're at today. I'd love to rewind a little bit and maybe talk about some of this experience that you're referring to, you know, that you have, you know, 20 or more years and then your two partners, Walk us through a little bit about kind of how that came to be and then how you use that today. Yeah. So I grew up in the business, so I'm second generation. So my dad started managing an arcade in the eighties. And then as that company grew, he grew with the company. So as I was growing up, he was becoming a store manager, a regional manager, district manager, all the way up till ultimately being CEO. And that company went from having a handful of arcades to over a hundred. And started building indoor, large, you know, 100,000 plus square foot family entertainment centers. So I grew up around that. And then when I was in high school was when we started Pinnacle. So that company that my dad had grown up with was sold to Namco. And then we started Pinnacle. So he started consulting and we started putting out our own machines, primarily in Walmarts and locations like that. We got a test with Walmart and that grew. And ultimately we had about 500 claw machines and another mm-hmm. couple hundred other games throughout, mostly in the Midwest in the U S and then also in Puerto Rico, which also included a family entertainment center that we had, that we were partners in. Oh, wow. Okay. And so then you take that and you grow it. Like you guys are operating it to some degree, right? With these claw machines. Do yeah. You, do, yeah. Does the consulting spin out of that or in, in concurrently with that or where does that concurrently it was parallel. Okay. So we had a, I was mostly on the route side then. My dad was consulting. So we started with the very first consulting client was a huge one, which was Disney. So mm-hmm. we're working on downtown Disney in Orlando, which had a good run of over 20 years, just closed a couple of years ago. And then mm-hmm. ESPN zone. So developing those concepts with Disney and along the way started working with more mom and pops. And then the company. So eventually we sold the operations. And folded into a merchandise company called Redemption Plus, which is still around. The idea being, if we could help their if we could help their clients learn the business better, they'd be more successful. 
they would buy more product and and be more loyal. Did that for years. And then as part of Redemption Plus, started working more and more with smaller companies, smaller chains. And bowling has been, you know, came in during that during that time period. So yeah. about maybe 13 years ago, we started doing like around 2010. I think Andy B's was the first project we worked on in the bowling world. Okay. Yeah, um, I was just there. As a consultant and, and became part of the Brunswick Alliance. So as we were working with Andy B's and others, we gained a lot of trust with Brunswick. Yeah. So they started to recommend us for a lot of their projects. We also work with Cubica, but we've done most of our work with Brunswick due to that alliance. So we work sure. really closely with them. And it's always been something where we just have to take care of their clients and, and they keep referring us. So right. it's a good relationship. And that's, you know, we've probably done about 200 bowling centers, whether really? that's some of them are ground up, some of that is modernizations and everything in between. Wow. So yeah, that, that's quite a few. So take me through, what does it look like, I guess, for that journey for you guys? I mean, I think everybody probably has a little bit different starting point, but what's the framework for you guys to say like, Hey, you know, here's where you're at today, you know, maybe traditional league house or, you know, closer towards that. What do you do to move them towards that FEC style model? Well, the first thing is they have, to, if you have a house that's 80% league, then you probably shouldn't be messing with anything. You know, we learned that we had, we had one project early on that was like that. They saw like all the stuff going on with FECs and then they wanted to do it, but they had like 80% league bowling and it doesn't work nearly as well with league and it can actually hurt it. But once you start getting to like 50% or if your leagues are going de- or declining, which happens to a lot of people yeah. and your open play is getting bigger, when you get to like 50, 50 or, you know, or more than 50% open play, that's when you, that's when we start looking at the FEC model. So then it usually comes down to, if it's an, if it's an existing center, it depends that we look at, start looking at space. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them will have like a pool hall that maybe like 1500 square feet. You could do something small on that. Some will want to do like an addition, mm-hmm. a lot, take out lanes. If you have yep. a big house, you know, and you, you know, you have 40, 50 lanes or something. Right. So you take out, so we start looking at taking out lanes. And what we want to do is we want to take out enough lanes so that you have enough space. It should be at least six. Four, four is very narrow. Yeah. It's hard. To, it's hard to do a really nice concept removing four lanes if there's not extra space, but at least six, you know, eight is also good. And we want to have a, we want to have the lanes be enough that you have about a two hour wait on weekends. That makes sense. Yeah. Learn that from Andy B actually. Like you want to remove lanes such to have a weight um, on the weekend so that you have a decent weight, but not crazy, generally speaking. And then, so then we look at the space and the market, what's, what the competition is and start to look at, you know, an arcade is the most profitable piece. So we come up with the size of the arcade. And if we have space, we want to add another attraction like laser Mm -hmm. tag or miniature golf, something like that. We know that it it depends on the competition. So if you have like a huge laser tag facility with state of the art laser tag down the street, then you may lean towards mini golf. But those are the two that we look at first. Okay. You know, assuming you don't have a huge place where you're going to do like go karting tracks or like some kind of mega project for a typical bowling center, we're looking at mini golf and bowling first, followed by if you don't have a lot, if there's not a lot of space, we'll do like maybe a VR attraction. Okay. Yeah. What about like axe throwing or axe throwing? 
Yeah, could be axe throwing if it's more of an adult place. Gotcha. You know, like less families, more adult. Look at Makes- darts. Mm-hmm. There's some exciting stuff going mm-hmm. on with darts. Yeah, that we're starting to look at more with the with some of the 3D darts and digital stuff going on. Uh, okay. But I think one important point is we know when looking at arcade sales, they get significantly better when there's another attraction in the space. Mm-hmm. I see. So like a bowling anchored arcade versus just pure arcade. Yeah, or a bowling anchored, no, bowling, arcade, and laser tag. That arcade <laughs> will do, you know, 40% more than if you just plugged an arcade into a bowling center. I see. So pairing it with another attraction. What do you think yeah. that is? I think you get more groups. So it, it allows you to do more parties, more groups, and then that's a good genera- generator for new clients. You know, I see. If you think about like if you go to a corporate event, a lot of times you're going to a new place and most of the people mm-hmm. there are. So they become new customers if you do a good job. Right. I see. So you, and you almost have more different activities for people to attach to rather than if you don't like bowling, then it's kind of out of the question. It gives you more opportunities. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. So <clears throat> you said you start with, you know, taking, finding space, whether that's, you know, taking things out or creating space, adding space, switching it out. Then you add in the arcade and then ideally an attraction with that. What's the step after that? Well, somewhere in there, you know, food and beverage has to be good. So mm-hmm. if there's space and capital, we want them to upgrade their food and beverage, at least be on a snack bar. A lot of bowling, mm-hmm. a lot of bowling centers already have a bar and yeah. decent food. So the food's important, but I would say somewhere in there, like whenever the budget allows, as soon as possible. Right. Really do, you, do you look at that as another type of attraction or is that its own separate thing just because it's a different beast or how does that fall it's in line own, with the other? It's its own separate thing. I think of it as a separate business. Like yeah. I, I think of both, you have the bowling business, which is open play league, shoe rental. You have the food and beverage business and then you have the family entertainment business. So you kind of have three mm-hmm. under, that all that, you know, all integrate with each other really mm-hmm. nicely, but they're separate businesses. Right. I, th- I think that's part of why these models wor- have been working so well, because the a lot of the costs are up front. Like if you build a bowling center, the real estate's expensive, the bowling equipment's expensive, the arcade's expensive. But once you have it going, you can drive traffic through that same building through different times of day, di- different day parts, you know, we call them yeah. during the week. It can get really powerful. And you can do that because you can have corporate in groups during the week. You can have leagues during the week. Mm-hmm. The weekends get packed with parties and open play, but it's that it's the powers filling those daytime slots, which all these things lend themselves to. And that's why like if you can these things get very profitable once, you know, after you're paying for your building, you know, that it doesn't take much more in staffing to keep doing higher numbers. So, you got really high, a really high margin business. Yeah, that's a really great point because I think that's something that a lot of proprietors miss is that a lot of the profit is just on the other edge, other end of the hump, like because a lot of your costs are fixed. So mm-hmm. if you double your revenue, you increase your profit a lot more than just the same ratio. So yeah, as you increase that revenue, your profit margin actually goes up, which is oh, yeah. you know, contrary to most businesses. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a J it goes way up. Right. Yeah. yeah and it's, just, it's just a matter of getting over that initial hump, like you're saying. Exactly. Yep. Very cool. So you're saying it's almost like having three different businesses, but you know you kind of have an economy of scale through having those all three together that works to really make that business take off. 
Yeah. And all three lend themselves to multiple generations. If you think about it, like, you know, kids, if you go into a bowling center on a Friday night, you're going to see all generations. You'll see grandparents in there. You'll see younger kids. You'll see, you know, people more our age and it's fun. Like same with restaurants, right? You know, everyone likes to eat arcades. You know, you, you can see multiple generations playing in an arcade. You can see multiple generations bowling. So it works for people to do that together, but it also works for you to do it with your peer groups. Like you ultimately you want like stereotypically you want the dads going there for Monday night football and hanging out with their friends and then maybe doing a kid's party on a Saturday. And then mom does a corporate event, you know, on Wednesday with her team. Some of these, some bowling centers even have like wine nights. Yeah. Ladies Mm -hmm. nights with wine. So, so it's great because you, all different ages can do it, you know, together socially, but also separately with their friends. Right. Yes. Something for everything for everyone. And then you have a much larger TAM, right? Your total addressable yeah. market just increases as you get more of these product lines. Yep. Very cool. So after that, you know, once you have that, what's the secret then for helping them kind of take over or, or run it? I mean, obviously you guys, it sounds like you guys don't get too far into operations, but you have some knowledge about that. What's, what, makes for a really good handoff process once you guys say, all right, you got it all built. Here's how you take it and run it. So what we do is we usually stay with them for at least the first six weeks. Okay. So if you're thinking about the arcade has a lot of moving pieces. So we're going to look at like the payouts on the games, make sure they're correct. Almost every center now is on a card system, you know, no more Mm -hmm. tokens. So that card system is so robust. Most proprietors only use it for about 5% of what's possible. Yeah. But there's all kinds of KPIs. Like we want to look at how many tickets are going out of the game versus how many are coming back across the redemption counter. You can find optimizations there to get to improve people's saving. That's basically the difference, right? If, if only 70% of the tickets that people win from the games get redeemed at the counter, that means that people there's a gap there, right? People are saving them or just throwing them away because they don't want to play with them. But a certain chunk are saving them, which you want. Those are the mm-hmm. people who keep coming back. So, so that ratio matters. We show you, we show them where to find that, what it might mean, you know, how to find theft. You know, we start teaching the reports to look at employee gameplay. You can see how many tickets as well as play values being given away and who Mm -hmm. gave it away. I mean, I could sit here all day and talk about stuff, but the main thing is that Mm -hmm. card system, you know, and what it can do. You can do like, if you have a group coming in, you can make sure that, that group, everyone gets a card and you can give them a bounce back offer. It's like right. the greatest feature that very few people use. So you can just yeah. tell everyone that you're a new customer to the, what we were discussing before. Hey, keep mm-hmm. the card starting tomorrow. You get $10, come back in, you know, for the next two weeks, you get $10 to try and get them to come back. There's all right. kinds of things that, that, you know, a lot of like almost every arcade has and, and very few people use it. So we teach them how to use a lot of that stuff. And we go, like, we have a meeting like every week for at least six weeks for an hour to start looking at that stuff and teach them kind of, we just, we call it our operating system, how we like to operate and get everything dialed in. And sometimes we'll stay on longer. Some people hire us Mm -hmm. to stay on for, you know, on an annual basis and do quarterly check-ins and try and help them out. Yeah. I imagine, especially if they're kind of newer to that game, just because there's so many moving parts. Yeah. What, what card system do you guys use? Do you use a couple of different ones or you mainly use one over another? Primarily intercard. Intercard's been the one okay. that we like the best. Yeah. We've used other ones in the past, but that's mm-hmm. our go-to. Okay. 
yeah, it seems like there's a lot you can do with those cards because there's such a margin on them. Like you can give them away. And you know, I, I talked to Brian over at Cats, and he said at one point his marketing strategy was to give away a million dollars in game cards at yeah. $10 a pop and they'd send them out and he said they, they always come back in with it. Yeah. Yeah. It just gives cool. you a lot of ability. Cool. So that's the process through, it sounds like you guys take your clients through to kind of get to that FEC destination. I'd love to hear from you a little bit about some of the people who are doing really well today and some of the things that you see them doing, like people who are having the best success, what do they have in common and what could people try to do to emulate that? Yeah. I think that people who have the best success really treat the FEC side as a business and have somebody who is focused on it that's mm -hmm. in management and that wants to continuously learn because there's a lot of moving parts like I said and you can keep getting better mm -hmm. at it there's a lot of there's a lot of people in the bowling world that you know make a lot of money and are still leaving money on the table so mm -hmm. it's kind of a tricky thing when someone's making higher profits than they've ever made in any business before <laughs> in their lives. Right. A lot of times after years and years of running businesses to tell mm -hmm. them like, you're not really doing that great. Like right. we're talking about yeah. like, right. making obscene profits. <laughs> like, yeah, you are because the model's good and you, and mm -hmm. you know, but there's more. Yeah. So we find that a lot, but so I think it, it requires it to be treated like a, like its own business. It's it, at one time it was more like with video games, right? There's no payouts. There's no prizes a lot less moving parts. A lot of those, mm -hmm. a lot of the redemption games where you win tickets, you know, like down the clown, like you're throwing a ball and there's lots of mechanical stuff that breaks. Mm -hmm. So one time you can pretty much keep the, keep everything clean and let the arcade run and, you know, make a little bit of, make a little bit of extra money. But this is a, this needs to be a, its own business. Hey, so are you guys primarily, I guess I didn't ask that before, is primarily redemption is mainly where you're looking at? Yeah, and in redemption, just mechanically keeping things running. Even like you know, one of our early clients was Bull New England, now Spare Time Entertainment, and they're mm -hmm. they've been very successful. We recently started working with them again to you know as they keep growing to start looking at optimizing their facilities. We find lots of things, and I would put them as one of the was one of the better operators. But there's still lots of stuff that we can find. Mm -hmm. You know, maintenance issues. Over time, people start to lose keys and, you know, not keep a key program together. There's so many little things that, that happen. Another thing that is interesting is we're seeing, we're seeing bowling coming into other businesses. So another really strong operator, you have Synergy Entertainment, right? They have movie theaters and then they have bowling, also arcade and FEC. B&B theaters, they're one of our clients, similar they're, you know, I think third generation could be fourth cinema operator, but they're mm -hmm. all their new one, all, all their new models that they're building have bowling in it uh, yeah. as well as an arcade and a bar and a restaurant. Yeah. I've talked to a couple of different guys who own cinemas and they say they, they don't want to do any new ones unless it has bowling in it. Cause you need that. Like you were saying earlier, you need that other attraction to be able to bring more people in. Yeah. Well, I think it's a similar concept because in a cinema, mm -hmm. like if you think you're going to the movies, you're usually just going to the movie and leaving. You're not right. usually wanting to hang out. If there's an arcade, you might play a few games, but mm -hmm. it's like a different psychology. But when you have bowling, especially with a bar and restaurant, mm -hmm. then right. people will go there even when they're not going to the movies. And that's what you want. You know, it, it can help your movie traffic too, but you want people, you want, you want to see people in there hanging out. Like, right. You know, they, you still want them going to the movies, of course, but you want them coming and making second and third visits. 
Exactly. I mean, it's tough to get in and out of a bowling center in, in under two hours. I mean, yeah. <laughs> realistically, it's not happening. Especially yeah. if you throw food in the mix, you're hanging. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you go to see like Guardians of the Galaxy for three and a half hours, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that night you're not going to spend another two and a half hours in the bowling alley. Some people will, but some people are ready mm-hmm. to go home. Right. Yeah. Well, and another point is that, you know, with Hollywood putting out a lot fewer movies lately, they need something to rely on. That's the guy that I talked to a couple episodes back said that just, you know, they're just, they're beholden to these guys and they're not putting a lot out. So they live or die by these releases and they need something else that they can grab onto. Yeah. Combined with the fact that the cinemas take on average 57% of of that ticket. Right. Right. So you buy a movie ticket, the cinema's taken, you know, it's like 80 something in the beginning, you know, it depends, but Overall, it's like 57%. And right. they're not taking that off the top from any of the other pieces of, your, of the business. Right. Yeah. If you have an arcade, they're not taking any of the arcade. They're not taking any of the food and beverage. Not taking mm-hmm. any of the. So. Yeah. But they have the space and the traffic. So, you know, like we we're saying, it's economies of scale for one location, but you have three different businesses inside. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, your infrastructure, I guess, is all shared, but your product yep. lines are different. Yeah. Very cool. So one one thing really quick, going back to what you said about trading as a separate business, were you saying that you would not want to have some kind of like FEC manager that's separate from some of the other things? Or what were you talking about when you said you wanted to have someone dedicated towards that specific business? Line? Yeah. An FEC manager. Okay. Absolutely. A lot of times people will take like an hourly employee and kind of put them in charge. Yeah. But I think you need someone who's going to be with you for a while. That's pretty well paid, assuming that mm-hmm. you're at a, you know, a scale that you can afford it, which most bowling centers are. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need someone focused on that business. Got it. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be making a huge investment like that, you might as well pay up a little yeah. bit extra to get your return out of it. Exactly. And I think that de- depending on the size of the chain, you also want your GMs or your district managers or your CEO to at least have some knowledge about what's going on to be able to ask questions. A lot of times it gets left aside, like they're, they know... You find a lot of people that come from bowling and a lot of people that come from food and beverage management, mm-hmm. managing these types of centers. And like one of the, one of our colleagues who works with us now, Nick DiMatteo came from Dave and Buster's. They had the same issue at Dave and Buster's. A lot of the GMs come from the food and beverage side. Right. And even though the, the arcade and the entertainment side is a huge chunk of profits, they don't really know it. Like they, they know the kitchen inside and out, right. they know the restaurant inside and out. And then they wind up like at times that the arcade can be left to its own, but you got to have senior management also at least partially focused on it, if that makes sense. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, if they're not focused on it, then it's not important to the GM. So it'll, it can have a way of just being left on its own because it can still make a lot of money, like I said before. Sure. And it's yeah. like, oh, I have so much to do. I'll just won't mess with that because it's doing fine. You know, it's all yeah, automated. Yeah. Right. And they don't know how to work. And I think a lot of it is just that there's there's a lot fewer of them. I mean, there's more today, but overall in the grand scheme, if you compare the amount of restaurants that there are out there compared to these types of facilities, it's just a smaller pool to be able to take people from and put them into that management position. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which leads me to the question then, what are you guys doing or seeing for like mechanics? Because I know on bowling, that's a huge issue. Is is much of an issue on the FEC side that, you know, the arcade and what does that look like today? Yeah, it is an issue. You know, a seasoned, highly skilled mechanic, you know, can be very expensive. That can be, you know, $70,000 plus a year right. for a really good top-notch mechanic. And if it's a, if you have a high-volume facility, it's worth having someone like that. Right. So you have a lot of people who are self-taught 
which you can only really teach yourself so much. I think, I mean, you can get a, you can get a good amount. If you have someone mechanically inclined, I think that's what we see a lot. You see, you see the locations finding someone mechanically inclined who likes troubleshooting and then they have a, there's manuals for all the games and attractions. And then there's a manufacturer and a distributor typically that you can call for help, figure it out. Right. So that's, that, that's, that's the main, that's what we see a lot. I think though, that because people can make a good amount of money, I think that's going to get better. There's lots mm-hmm. of different groups that are putting out education programs. They're mostly like mm-hmm. beginning courses, game yeah. distributors, trade associations. But I think that the industries, because they see the, sees the need is going to keep improving those things. Plus there's probably some opportunity with technology to do it even to do it even better in a more modern sense using virtual reality and things like that. Some stuff we've been looking at trying to figure out how to, because there's no substitute, like giving someone a computer course, like it's very hands-on learning. So it's, you got to have a way to have it be hands-on. It works best with a mentor type program. Ideally you have that top-notch person that, that knows everything that's been a long time. And then they can hire someone under them who can start doing preventative maintenance and fixing smaller things and learn it almost like an apprenticeship. It's tricky in bowling because, you know, a lot of the centers don't, you don't have enough revenue to have like three or four techs, right? So you got to kind of work with what you have. So Mm -hmm. that's. Yeah. Well, it seems like the arcade games are almost an entirely different beast, whereas the, you know, machines for like the pin setters are pretty mechanical and, you know, they're, they are complicated, but on a, you know, to some degree, they're not crazy complicated. It seems like there's a lot of electronic components for some of these where it would take a lot to really get good at it. Do you recommend everyone do like some of these training schools or how, what do you like, say you have a new client, what do you do to help them get a good mechanic in place? We do one of two things. We, we have them do some of those trainings. Like you said, we tell mm-hmm. them like if they have a bowling mechanic and he's willing to do it, that person is usually mechanically inclined enough that they can help oversee it. Sometimes mm-hmm. a facilities manager. So we tell them to do that. Although, you know, that's what we've been doing. And we're finding that, you know, as the, what's been happening in bowling is the arcades do well. So they keep expanding and they're getting bigger and that's harder to manage them. So we're mm-hmm. starting to look at how to have some regional techs and starting to try to set up some regional tech resources that you can bring mm-hmm. in help. Yeah. Some of the Schaefer distributing is a distributor we like to use. They'll, they do training and they'll even come on site for locations yeah. to do some training. Yeah. They have limited bandwidth, so they can't do it as much as they'd like to. So I wish I had like the, like, this is exactly how you do it. This is the greatest answer, but it's an issue. Right. You know, that yeah. We're actively trying to optimize and figure out the best way to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten so bad on the bowling side that they're changing the pin. You know, a lot of people are switching their to mm-hmm. string machines because of they can't get a mechanic. It's changing yeah. the game. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that's, that's I a big a, um, go ahead. No, go ahead. I would say that the big, from what I've heard, that was a large contributing factor to the fact that strings got sanctioned this year. It's just because they're like, hey, we don't can't get mechanics. We have to go string or we're going to go out of business. Yeah, I believe it. I had mm-hmm. a, it's like a side note. I had an Uber driver when I was in Las Vegas for one of the mm-hmm. trade shows. And he was saying that he used to work for Namco as an arcade game tech. And then he worked mm-hmm. for, I forget, one of the big bowling, you know, Las Vegas has those mega bowling yeah. centers. He worked right. for one of them as like a, I forget, they had different levels of 
techs for the bowling equipment, but he was like sure. a senior bowling tech. And then he's driving over. I'm like, you know, I'm like, if you can do, if you can work on the mechanical pin set, pin setters and your master arcade tech, like you can probably get a really high paid job. Oh yeah. Like out in Vegas, mm-hmm. you probably make close to a hundred thousand dollars a year if you want Easily. to. He's like, oh, my back. Right. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm like, All right. I'm like, yeah. there's not that many guys who can, or girls who can do both of those. At a high right. level. But yeah, it, it is a tough gig. You know, it's hard, you know, and a lot of these guys are older and mm-hmm. they have a tough time doing it sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so Howard, I know we're coming up close to time. I was hoping to ask you two more things. One is maybe one more example or commonality you see of people who are doing really well in the FEC world. And then the second thing, love to get your outlook on maybe the next 12, 18 months where you see things going. So we'll start first with, you know, another success story or commonality of your highest performing clients? Yeah. You know, I think one, the summit in out in Denver, Don McCain's group. Yeah. Yeah. They sold sold the main event. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. one thing when I was out there meeting with him, I remember Don saying like the most important thing is that you train people well and take care of them. A lot of the Mm -hmm. employees are new, you know, it's their first job or second job. And he was like, I don't believe like a lot of this, like the millennials don't want to work stuff. He's like, I don't believe that. Like, it's like anyone mm-hmm. else, it, but you have to have good training. So I think people who can, who have a training program for their employees can keep employees longer and you can do a lot better with good employees, of course. Yeah. Sometimes people will treat them because they don't get paid well. They'll just treat them like they're temporary and they're going to turn over in six months anyway and yeah. churn through. And that's very costly. Mm-hmm. So I think treating employees well and having a good training program, like people who do that are a cut above for sure. Yeah. You want to talk about some alpha on the table, right? To be able to invest in someone and get them to go from that first job to being like a, an a, a player. That's a huge mm. game to be had in that, right? If you have the ability to invest in people, even just with, like you said, a little bit with good training, that's a huge win for the business to be able to have, to be able to create a players at will because you have the right mindset. Yeah. And some of them may wind up doing it as a career. Or if you get someone in high school, who's really good and train them, well, while they're in college, they, you know, they can come in the summer and fill in when people want to take vacation. They're probably going to be home at spring break when you're going to be busy and you don't have to train someone to work for a week when it's spring break because they're already there and know what they're doing. Same thing with Christmas break. So, you know, there's a very practical component of it too, that you can, you know, keep people for a long time, maybe multiple years, even if it's certain, even if it's only on their breaks from college, if they're a college student. Sure. Yeah. I think that, you know, churn, and you know, low retention is probably the largest hidden cost that, you, that isn't on a PL. It should be. Yeah. Yeah. It is for some people. Some people have put a number to that mm-hmm. and track. Most don't, but some do. Yeah. Cause it's one of those sneaky costs where you, it gets used in extra labor, but it's really, if you could have fixed that, that hole in the bucket, you could reduce that significantly. Yeah. I see. And when you're training someone, they're really not helping you that much, right? That's a cost. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so when you churn, you're just getting that, you're paying that over and over. You, you never stop paying that. Right. Very cool. Yes. So I want to go through the last piece, Howard, that we like to talk about. It's kind of maybe where you see things going. Maybe the next 12, 18 months where you see the industry going, maybe where you guys are going. Love to hear your your outlook. Yeah. So I think two things. I think you're going to see, you'll see bowling coming into more and more projects. We have the advantage that we do, that we work in with hotels and casinos and movie theaters and more and more bowling is a piece of that, especially with the duck pin concepts. 
that okay. are smaller footprint. You can fit them in more locations and yeah. they can be really profitable. So I think you're going to see bowling in more and more. It's very social, like not league mm-hmm. type stuff, but you'll see bowling components of, of more and more entertainment concepts for mm-hmm. sure. I know that because yeah. we, you know, we start like we usually start in the planning stage. So we see things a couple of years before they happen. Right. So we'll see a lot of that. I think that you're also going to see more of the smaller chains, like maybe chains that have gone from one to five or 10 or 20 mm-hmm. are going to really dial into their operations. Like that's what that that's our fastest growing piece of business is people who want us to help them manage as mm-hmm. they realize like, okay, we've been doing this for a while. We're making money, but we know we're not optimized because as you're growing, you know, you're focusing on new stores and it's a lot. And yeah. then you kind of let, you start to let the managers, like individual locations do things their own way. And there's advantages to being a corporate, like you can buy and scale, like yeah. in game, you can be very strategic in how you buy games and rotate them through locations. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, that for, from a, even a small chain you can do to increase your profits. And then mm-hmm. we're fortunate that we have that, you know, Nick's got the Dave and Buster's experience and my dad and I have our, you know, corporate chain management experience that, that we can help people think through some of that. Yeah. So I think you're going to see like, a, I think you'll see a lot of the proprietors, especially like if the, you know, the economy's softening a little bit, it looks like from what I see, we get mm-hmm. about a hundred locations numbers every week. And, you know, the growth has been off the chart and it's kind of steadying out, dipping a little bit, still great. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Going, mm-hmm. coming down or staying even from record profits is good, you know, Right. If you, yeah. as long as you're not, not blowing all the money. But I think people are going to refocus on their, on optimizing what they have. Mm-hmm. And, but I, the future is really bright. I mean, this is for arcade and it's definitely the best. Like, you know, my dad's almost 70, so he's been doing it for 45 years or something. And he always mm-hmm. says that like, this is the golden age for arcades. People think of it as the eighties, but Right. Now is the best time ever. And I think with bowling too, there was a stat, I think it was 2017, Brunswick was saying that year there was a record number of bowling centers closing and a record number of new builds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the model's evolving, but it's still really good. And there's still, you know, I, I do think people will focus on improving their operations, but I don't, I'm not seeing growth slow down. I mean, maybe with the interest rates are a lot higher, everything has gotten expensive, we may see some <laughs> slowdown. But I think the future is really bright for the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, I mean, bowling is relatively, you know, inexpensive as far as activities. You know, you're going to cut your fine dining before you do your family entertainment cheap, you know, bowling. But it sounds like if I were to have two takeaways, it sounds like bowling is a, and FEC is a very well, a great, well-kept secret that's becoming less so a kept secret. Mm -hmm. You know, it sounds like more competition entering the field, but still in a growing pie. Yeah, absolutely. I think you'll see more consolidation. Obviously, mm-hmm. Bolero's buying a lot of centers. Right. You have groups like Five Star Group, Triple Shift Entertainment that are buying mm-hmm. that are buying centers. So there'll be some consolidation too in the industry. You'll have, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you'll have some more bigger play running chains, but there's still a lot of room for mom and pops. Right. Yeah, and it sounds like also maybe with the softening, it's they're going to take you up on some of the things that they could be doing to improve their operations. Right. You said there's a lot of things they're doing well, and they've been having record profits every year, but now maybe with the leveling off, they'll come back and say, oh, maybe I should do some of those things for the, you know, that. Yeah, I got a text on Saturday at like eight o'clock at night. Hey, uh, you are really needed and wanted. Can we have a phone call, please? 
And then I talked to him and he's like, yeah, he's like, I lost my arcade manager a few months ago and it's just kind of chugging along. And it's like, I know we can be doing better. Like, can you help us out? Like, right. I've been getting more and more calls like that, which is good. That's great. Yeah. That's what you guys are here for. You know, a lot of times, right. We don't make those hard decisions until we have to, you know, right. Awesome. Howard, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been an awesome conversation. You know, I can, we can talk this stuff all day, but I want to be respectful of your time for the people who are interested in your group and maybe if they want consulting or to learn more about what you guys do, where should we send them or where can they find out more? The, yeah, the, so my cell phone's 314-378-4522. You can always call me and our website's group pinnacle g-r-o-u-p-i-n like nancy a-c-l-e.com and you can see like lots of different projects we've worked on and more information and you can get our contact info there so awesome yeah i looked through it there's a lot of big name testimonials on there you guys you know obviously have a great track record to back up what you're talking about yeah most of our business comes from referrals we don't do a lot of marketing but that's good too yeah Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again so much for coming on, Howard. This has been a pleasure. You know, absolute blast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Yeah. And thanks for reaching out. I appreciate you having me on. It's been good. Yeah. Thanks. I'll hopefully see you at one of these events soon. Definitely.